Let's pray, ask the Lord, who is already here, to free us up to be able to see and to respond to him. Bless your name, Lord. We thank you that you are here and that you did not bring us here for nothing. That you have a word for every single one of us. So we ask you, Lord, that your word will come in such a way that it will dig out and dispose of anything that blocks us from experiencing the goodness that you have for us. We thank you, you have a gift for every single one here. As a gift that we could never get on our own or from earth, from nature, but from you, only, only from you. So we ask you that even now that you open up your word and speak to us, capture our attention, our imagination, and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We've been looking at Genesis, at the life of Abraham, and uh, we spoke about um, um, the, a statement that, uh, Isaiah said in, made in Isaiah 51 when he says to those of you who are seeking the Lord look to Abraham and to Sarah that is the rock from which you are hewn and what Isaiah is basically saying is that the life of Abraham and Sarah the lives I'm, I'm using the word the life singular as one bound up uh, identity that's the template, and that is the seed from which you are of that. You are of the same substance, yeah. And so, if we look at Abraham, Isaiah says he was but one. He was only one, singular, solitary. But I, I blessed him and I increased him. And so, you are of that rock. That is the distinct rock that you are of. That being one, God wants to bless you and increase you. Amen. Today, you may feel solitary. You feel desolate, perhaps, even. But if you are a Christian, you are of Abraham's seed, so to speak. Yeah? You are of that DNA. And so, I want to go deeper into this. So, let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Go back to how God called Abraham. And we spoke about um, Abraham, who was called by God. I will read it from chapter, uh, from chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So everything that we read about Abraham, because we are of that same rock, as Abraham and, and Sarah, that promise can be for you. And the starting point is go from. He didn't tell Abraham, uh, go to. He said, go from. And so Abraham didn't know where he was going, right? But go from is very important because what go from means separate yourself from your past, separate yourself from your old identity, because I'm starting something new. I'm starting a new seed. I'm starting a new generation, a new, a new line in you. We are of that line. Yeah. So we've been talking about that uh, for the past few weeks. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Notice that God didn't call Lot. He called Abraham and Sarah, but Lot went with him. Today we'll talk about the lots that go with us. Lots of them. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was so lame. <laughs> Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions that they had gathered. So let's stop here for a little bit. There are some of us who feel that our identity has to lie in where you're going or where you are. Where you are in life is your identity. You are defined by where you are in life. You have a job, then you have, the job defines your life. 
If you don't have a job, then you are a jobless person. If you have a lot of money, then you are a, a rich person. If you don't have a lot of money, you are a poor person. So many people make their identity based upon where they are or where they are going. But what God says is this. Your identity starts when you go from, not where you go to or where you are. Isn't that amazing? That means that what, what, what God has done in Christ is that He has cut us off from any identity that's based upon your location, that's based upon your st state in life, your station in life. It starts from going from. Abraham could have asked God, where am I going? And God says, just go from. Isn't that amazing? Many of us haven't started yet to know what, who we are in God yet because we are constantly identifying who we are in terms of the job that we have, the ethnicity that we have, the family that we have, the talents that we have, the qualifications that we have, and all that. I want to put it to you for now, okay, that you are not who you come from or where you come from, who you come from. You are not who you, you are not where you're going. Whatever college you're going to or whatever college you graduated from. You are not your environment. You are not your ethnicity. You're not your education. You're not your health. You are not your age. You are not what you're able to do. If you start from that, you will lose that. Because if you're 75 now, next year you're going to be 76. You lose 75. If you're young now, inevitably you will get old if you're lucky. So if you place your identity on any of, them, one of these things, these things will not last. They will actually be obliterated. In fact, some good things are going to become toxic if you put, put your identity in it. And so, when God starts a new race, when God starts a new people, He starts with go from. Amen. I praise God that I can identify myself as a person who, who went from. And because of that, I don't primarily identify myself as a Malaysian. I don't primarily identify myself as a, as a Chinese man. Whatever other things I've got in there, in my blood. I'm told I'm Portuguese as well and Malay and all that kind of stuff. I'm going from there. Because I was born in, from heaven. Am I Chinese still? Am I still not Chinese? No, I still am Chinese. But that's not my identity. Neither do I get my value from that. I'm only who I am when God calls me. You do not have an identity unless someone infinite, from infinite reference point, calls you and says who you are. So if anybody calls you stupid or not, not good enough, not smart enough, that is not your identity. Amen? An identity can only be given by someone who's infinite, infinite. And who's infinite, who's an infinite reference point. You can say, I call you. And so God named Abraham, Abraham. He'll be father of a great nation. Right? So he called him from who Abraham was in the natural. That is the starting point of a Christian. You're not a Christian because you, are, you subscribe to the religion, but you are a Christian because God did a radical, miraculous separation from all your past, all your failures, all your sin, all your old nature. Amen? That's so great. Our starting point can begin today. Tomorrow you can start again too. Whatever happened today. <laughs> so anyway, let's, let, let's keep going. And so, God begins to do a work in this new man called Abraham. Yeah? And so, I like this series that we are going to be going on to has to do with how God blessed him and made him fruitful. Just as God has in our destiny fruitfulness for all of us. Yeah? Okay, let's go. Verse 4, Abraham went 
as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And of course, there was a famine, famine, so that when God brought Abraham out from, um, from Syria, from uh, Aram, Abraham lived in God. See, when God says, go from, he recognizes that we have actually two locations. Whenever you, wherever you are, you live in two places, two dimensions, okay? The first is where you are. I'm here on a stage in 1555 East Colorado Boulevard, right? This is where I am. Physically, I'm here. But there's another dwelling place that I have, and that has to do with where my being, my soul, my mind is, where I'm dwelling. And what God was, is, is, was saying to Abraham is, when he said, go from, not just go from a particular locality, I want you to not have a location in places, but in me. So we have these two locations. There's two dimensions in us. One is inside where I live, where I'm obsessed by, what, where, where I'm attending, attending, where I live from. Does that make sense? And Christ says, and Jesus says in, in, in John chapter 14, 15, be in me. You are in me. If you are in Christ, Christ surrounds you. The reality of God surrounds you. And wherever you go, you are in Christ. So that Abraham, even when he was wandering, he had a place. He didn't have a place physically to belong to, but he belonged in God. Amen? So God made a covenant, and that covenant was like an inner sheath that covers him, and, 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 and he will always be inside this covenant in which, in this covenant, there are certain things that operate. God will bless him. If he li lives for him, he will have his presence. He will never be lost because wherever he is, no matter how desolate that place, the, the one he's living in will redirect him. He will never be destroyed because the one he's living in is safe. It's a high tower. It's a, it's a shelter. It's a fortress around him. It's a rock. If you are not living in God, you are, you are, you are prone to the vagaries of all the physical places you are in. And so when you feel unsafe, you will try to find all kinds of safety strategies that can be harmful for you. Amen? So they went to Egypt, and when, he, when they went to Egypt, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we spent a lot of time on it last week. When we went to Egypt, Abram really felt unsafe. And because he felt unsafe, he developed this strategy that will keep him safe, right? And last week we talked about how we are constantly looking for a safe place. We're constantly looking for a safe place. But the safe place we're looking for is a, a place in which it is independently safe. It's autonomously safe. safe. It is safe without reference to God. It's safe anyway. And now we talked about how we Google and Google and Google looking for all, and researching how we can be safe in, in the sense that we are safe without needing God to protect us. Yeah, we, heard, we talked about that. And we talked about Abraham, how he, his strategy was to actually compromise his wife, Sarah. And one of the things that, we, that happens for all of us when we are wanting to be safe is we try to adapt as much as we can to all the pressures and the forces that are around us, not realizing that actually at the base of it, we are in God. And because we are in God, He's able to protect us. Right? And so what Abraham did is this. He said to Sarah, I know you're very, very beautiful. So when we go to Egypt, tell them that you are my wife. Sorry, my sister. Tell them you're my sister and not my wife because... Because if, I, if, 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 if you are my wife and everybody knows that you're my wife, they'll try to kill me so they can get you. So Abraham just killed his wife anyway by saying, she's my sister. 
And that is one of the strategies that we have that are going to cause us not to be fruitful. You know what it is? We'll lose our identity. We'll, we'll, we'll sell out the things that are precious in us. By doing that, we'll sell ourselves out. So who are you? Pharaoh would ask. Anything you want me to be. What's your name? You just name me and I'll be, I'll, I'll be anything you want me to be. And that is the thing that happens with so many Christians because we are constantly marketing ourselves so we'll be popular, so that we'll be accepted, so we'll be taken in. So we're constantly finding out what people want, aren't we? We're constantly doing surveys and all that so that we will be the right and appropriate person to fit into that particular desire that other people have. What do you want me to be? I'll be that. What color hair do you want? Okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. What kind of a way do you want me to talk? I'll do it. As long as you want me to do it. And by doing that, you give up your identity, you give up your person, your calling in God. So you go from that. You go from that. And Abraham to go from that. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be married to Abraham. Hopeless guy. But Sarah, she learned her lesson, you know. Sarah, after being sold out by her husband, later and later on when she had Hagar as a maidservant, and then she had Isaac. She did not fall, fall in line with Abraham. She said, get rid of her. I'm not going to stand for this. Whew. And this time Abraham said, all right, all right. I have seen how sometimes God can put within my own wife like a force of nature a powerful conviction and love for God and for God's people that when I get near it, I'm in awe. It's bigger than anything I know. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that? Love so strong, you know, so strong that it frightens you. I'm frightened sometimes because of the depth of something so thick. And sometimes when you are betrayed, God is doing that in you. You know what you are not. You know how to go from. Sarah says, I'm going from you. Don't even, don't even stop me. I'm going from that kind of subservience. Amen? All right. Okay, I won't go, I won't go too far. I just want to let you know, sometimes God builds a storm in you, a hurricane in you, because of the fact that you've been sold out. And if you've been sold out, cheer up. Because God has a power for you. Because what Sarah had to do is to dig deep. And to dig deep, she had to find something more compelling than even her husband more compelling than other people around her. Because she knew that her husband, given the, given the right circumstances, his strategies for survival will sell her out. And her husband would be anything anybody wanted him to be until he grew to, to know his identity in God. There is that part in us that makes us that way. And God is saving you and I from it. Is saving you from that. Anything that has become so plastic in our personality. And that sometimes happens when we don't really hold on to who we are in God, our call from God. Our call is not a call to be popular. Our call is not a call to be liked. Our call comes from somewhere else. Amen? Because that call of yours, no matter how unlike you are, will save the ones who don't like you. That happened with Joseph. Okay, let's carry on. 
I want to talk about something else that, um, that we did not talk about uh, last week, and that has to do with one other thing that God was doing to prune and to, to shape Abraham. So the first thing we saw was the, the issue of being um, going from. We saw Abraham being taught a lesson in Egypt. But I like to look at another thing that God does in making us fruitful. It says in verse 4, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and it says, And Lot went with him. It's very interesting that the, the writer of Genesis makes that point abundantly clear. Chapter 13, So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. And then verse, verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds. What's going on there? God is, it seems as if he's making a point. The point is that Lot went with him. See, Lot, you don't find anything in Scripture that talks about Lot's, God's purpose for Lot. Lot did not figure in God's purposes. God, Lot was an attachment. He's a, he's a kind of attachment that, that came with Abraham because of the fact that he was related to him. He's his family, he's his people. But God had said, go from your people. But Lot was a kind of a tag-along, right? He is a tag-along. And as a tag-along, Abram's identity was somehow muddied by his tag-along nephew. God said to Abram, go from, from your people, from your father's house, all that. And Lot went with him. I like the way in which the Bible just is pretty subtle, but it's kind of cute, right? Go from your father's house. And Lot went with him. <laughs> we have that. We got that Lot in us, you know. Well, let's talk about Lot, right? There's something that goes with us. We can be called of the Lord, and we are serious about God, and we really want God, and then Lot goes with us. Your people, my people, whatever. But there's something internal about Lot in our lives too. All right, let's look at chapter 13 then. So Abram went up from Egypt, verse 1, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. So they're coming back from Egypt, up from the desert. And, and, and Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. So he goes back to the place where he was before he fell so to speak, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. So that's, so Abraham's coming back to where God spoke to him and gave him a name, right? Spoke his word to him, goes back there. Okay, let's go back and start again. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with him, went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them and dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so there's strife. And there's these two parts of Abraham and Sarah. There's the, the part that's called by God and there's the other part that tags along. And inevitably, there's strife between these two parts of us. The parts that tag along with us. The parts of us that God never called. And then the calling of God upon us. We have that duality in our lives, don't we? The lot part. And the lot part began to show itself just by the sheer mass of possessions that he had in Abraham's kind of camp. And so Abraham and Lot, there came a point in which Lot grew as Abraham was growing. Just as, as we grow in our spiritual life, there comes a time where things come to a head. Old characteristics begin to be manifest. And so the herdsmen of Lot's camp began to quarrel against Abraham. Abraham's herdsman. 
At that time, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. And Abraham said to the Lord, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Please uh, remember that, that name, Zoar, okay? This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other and, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So that the men of, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And let's stop here for a bit. So there's something we learn about Lot. And I wonder what the, whether that, was the kind, that, that reveals the, certain, the kind of conflict that happened between Lot and Abraham. And basically, what you see is this. Lot looked ahead and chose the best parts for himself. Abraham is much more mature. He's much more godly in that sense. He says, you take whatever you want. He says to the younger guy, Usually in, the, the, in that culture, the older person gets the, gets the first choice. But the older guy is the bigger guy, so he gives, it to the, gives Lot the choice that you choose. And Lot's choice revealed the kind of person that he was in. Right? He chose, he looked at the valley, it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. It was like the garden of the Lord. Not the garden of the Lord, it was like the garden of the Lord. It's like this. God blesses us. But some people, the blessing is what they're going for. And so it looks like from God, but it's not God. He chose, based upon what his eyes could see, what his heart really wanted. Abraham chose what the Lord wanted. He had no idea what God wanted. But he says, whatever you want, Lord, I want your portion. Lord said, I want what I want. And so he did, carved out a space around himself based upon his comfort. But it was like the garden of the Lord. You know, there are many things about our, uh, uh, that, that we go for that are like God. You know? And they, have to, they kind of comport with the things that we desire and that we like that's kind of our, our, our own comfort, our own taste right now. And we put that before God. And God becomes not our shield and but buckler, but the shield and butler. I, I know, you guys are so kind. I've said this joke many, many times before. My kids hate me, hate, hate me telling the same joke over and over again. And, and Lot chose what would bless him rather than came from God. That's why Lot is fundamentally different even though he's like Abraham. He's fun, fundamentally different from Christianity even though it's like Christianity. When you go after the blessing of God and you go after, after the good life, the life that you think that God can give to you, then you go after an idol and the idol will, will make you as we saw in uh, Psalm 125, everyone who worships them become like that. They have, they have eyes that do not see, mouths that cannot speak, ears that cannot hear. When you worship that, bless, that thing rather than God, and you go for that, then you will become like that. You will become muted. You will have nothing really important to say. You have nothing serious to say. Because everything you have comes from your own self, your own desire. Amen? So, so here's Lot. It looks Christian. It looks like really Christian because it, it looks like the garden of the Lord. Wow! Like the garden of the Lord, man. But it's not. It's what you call an asymptote. It goes real close. Very close. Very parallel. But it's not. It never will meet. They will never meet. It's an asymptote. 
And there is a lot of Christianity that's like that. I want to, I want to speak about that today because it may save you. It will save me for sure. And so what happens is that I think sometimes quarrels happen because of the fact that there's a fundamental difference in perspective. They all look like, say, husband of, 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 of Lot, herdsman of, of Abraham, same thing, right? But the fundamental thing that you're going after, that you name yourself from, is different. And you can't tell the difference. Sometimes it's so subtle, you may get mixed up. And sometimes what God does is that He reveals these things to us so that He can see, that we can see the corruptibility inside us. It's not wrong to believe God for blessings. But when you put the blessings before God, then you're about that. Have you seen Christianity? We know about, we, we talk a lot about people who are, you know, after the prosperity gospel. I believe in prosperity, by the way. But I don't believe that when you go after it, that becomes the thing, the primary thing. God will come, it will follow, it will be added unto you. Amen? Matthew 6, Matthew 6.33. But you've got to let it be on God's pleasure. So Abraham was blessed. He says, I'll, God says, I call him alone and I bless him. Lord, grab the blessing. He grabbed the blessing before he grabbed God. He says, I will bless you. And so what happens is this. Um, in some ways, we can look at ourselves as having an Abraham and, a, Abraham and a lot inside us, don't you think? There's a part of us that's corruptible. It's, a, it's corrupted. And God is he's constantly refining us and refining us and refining us so that that will happen. But you want to beware about the lot in you and me that follows us and lot went with him. He comes with us. It's a certain attachment to certain things that we are in the natural. You know? And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. What do you see when you lift up your eyes, when you lift up your soul? beyond what is, what's going on, beyond the soul, when you lift up your soul to God or look to what you desire, what do you see? Lot saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And verse 7, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So at first you find that he's just kind of just outside Sodom. By the, by, the, by the time you come to the next two chapters, he's in Sodom. In fact, we won't have time to look at it. When the angels come to Sodom to destroy the, the, the city, they find Lot in the gates of the city. Now, the gates didn't mean he was at the gate and the gate was opening and shutting. No, the gates were the places where business transactions and government was actually happening. Yeah. So when God says you will possess the gates of your enemy, it means that you will you will possess the places of authority in your enemy. Yeah? And so the gate, when, when, when Lot is found in the gate, he was probably a town council member or something of Sodom. And so he had gone nearby, as, as close to it as possible, and find, before long he had tumbled into it and become a part of it. Yeah? And that is the, and that's the, the corruptibility that, that's there. I want to go a little bit deeper. When we... Let me put it this way. There is a trend nowadays for us to actually live in what's comfortable for us. What's a subjective reality for us. What makes us feel good. In fact, I, what I would call a new subjectivism has to do with the fact that we actually live in our feelings. We live in how we, we live in our comforts. We live more in the way we feel than what's real out there. What say you? In fact, we live in such a way that we actually find life 
too difficult, too hard, too harsh, too laborious for us. And so because of the fact that there are many, many things nowadays that can stimulate our feelings and make our feelings live in a world of feeling, it is possible for us to actually live in feelings rather than in life, in objective reality. So we have, there was somebody from Facebook that recently said, it is better to actually live within the fantasy of our own feelings. Yeah? I never knew the word dopamine until I came to America. The dopamine is that chemical that makes you feel good, right? That's the sum total of everything I know about dopamine. But it is such an issue now, whereas in previous generations, nobody talks about dopamine because we talk about the thing we are supposed to do, not the feeling that comes when we do something good. Does that make sense? We are more into the feeling that we get than the thing that we are doing. We are into the feeling of comfort rather than the thing that we do. What say you? We are living in a new subjectivity in which technology can make us live in such a way that we create our reality in a virtual reality of feeling stimulus, stimuli. So uh, Neil Postman wrote this book, um, Amusing Us Ourselves to Death. It is possible for you and I to live most of the hours in a day entertained. I can live in YouTube and create this, 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 this reality around me, a YouTube reality or a TikTok reality or, or a music reality or a visual reality or a central reality so that my... The, the, the space that I'm located in is no longer the space of God, the presence of God, but the, the, the things that I do to keep my feelings comfortable. What say you? In fact, the body is actually quite inconvenient sometimes. You get aches and pains and all that. At 75, I don't know how Abraham felt but it's considerably less than that. I already feel aches and pains. Let's just do away with the body, right? Let's just take my brain and put it in a vat and then let it be stimulated by electrical imp impulses so I can feel everything. Nowadays, we talk about your reality and my reality as if these realities are plastic. They can be changed, they can move around, not based upon objective reality, or the hard facts of reality, but based upon how I feel. Correct? Now, I would put it to you that Lot was doing that. He was surrounding himself not with God, but he was surrounding himself with things that will make him feel comfortable. So he's willing to sell out his daughters to the, to the rabble that actually came to his door so that he can feel comfortable. There is a way in which we actually are out of touch with actual reality because we can sometimes, be, and I guess this is a sign of the age, feel more comfortable when we are not in, rela in relation to these things. We would rather have the calm, comforting, reassuring voice than the voice of urgency. Put it this way. Okay, let me give you uh, an example. When I was on my sabbatical, I felt the Lord say, I have for you health, okay? and I want you to take care of your health. And so the Lord spoke to me, go and get checkups, go and get your blood tested, do, and all, do all that stuff. So I thought, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord, because you want me to live for a long time for my girls. Good. Then I went to the, to the doctor, and this is the first time I had met her. She was a right old provoker. Said, you're in bad shape. Your PSA was 11 last year. Now it's 17. Do you know what that means? You probably have cancer. It was not comforting. 
I said to the Lord, Lord, you told me you're going to take care of my health. I'm going to live long. And now, what is this? I'm going to live short. But the Lord was pushing me. Now, I got to tell you, she's not my doctor anymore. Because she does not make me feel comfortable. But she saved my life. I got to tell you, I have two, two feelings about her. I don't like her, but I, I'm grateful for her. Because there's a part in me that wants to feel comfortable. And I surround myself with comfort. Because how I feel subjectively is very, very important to me. Correct? Okay, of course you say correct. But I know that that is a danger. Because the thing in me that makes one to feel comfortable, that shirks away from any kind of danger, anything that's urgent, makes me want to be around somebody who has a, a comforting voice. I want to surround myself with people who have the same opinions as me. I want to surround myself with people who will affirm me and make me feel good about myself and give me the strokes and all that. And I want to do all that so that, in fact, if I could, I'd create another world. The real world. The world of my reality. Not your reality, because your reality is inconvenient to me. But my reality is one in which I have my cup of coffee, my daughters bought me a new uh, for Christmas a cup that keeps the the, the warmth of the temp the temperature at 135 degrees Celsius Fahrenheit. So I always have coffee. You know, when I drink my coffee in this cup, most people by the time they finish the last the the, the la last bit of the coffee, it's cold already. Mine is not. It is 135 degrees. I love it, and my daughters know that I love it. So I drink from that cup every day. Wonderful, wonderful. I surround myself by an, an environment that makes me feel comfortable. And that is my comfort. I like God because He has very positive things to say about me. He makes me feel good about myself. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In fact, I would rather lie down in green pastures than do any work. I love that. In fact, I think I'm, I'm thinking of, 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 of publishing a new Bible of all my favorite verses. All my favorite verses, I'll just surround myself with these favorite verses and all the other verses that cause me to feel alarm or, 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 or become more holy, I think I'll just leave them alone because this is my reality. So we have a new subjectivism that we've created. Now this subject, subject, new subjectivism is killing us. And what it's doing is that it's weakening us because what it does is that it makes us not able to do normal things because they are too difficult. And so what happened with Lot is that he lived and surrounded himself with a watered garden that was like the Garden of, of, of Eden, but not the Garden of Eden. So he, 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 he surrounded himself with Sodom, made himself feel good about himself, surrounded himself with all the calm voices and all that, and got rid of people that, that are just like my doctor. The problem with that is that he could never engage in anything objectively important. He could never engage in, in, in himself in anything that was of God, that is of the purpose of God. I will call him a non-serious person because everything he did was not serious. It was not consequential. It had no real matter, matter of, of, of import. He was living inside himself. As long as you're not living for God's purpose, you're not a serious person. You're not engaged in anything serious. I cannot take you seriously. Nobody can take you seriously because you are about yourself. You don't come outside of your, your subjective comfort zone. And so you don't do anything that has anything to do with what God wants you. You do things for yourself. And so because of that, Lot is not serious. He's not a serious uh, 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 character in the, the drama of biblical history. He doesn't actually count. Lot contributed nothing to the purposes of God. 
He's not serious. That's what I mean. So when I use the word serious, I don't mean being morose and having a, a, fa a face as long as the papaya. I don't mean that. I mean by serious, something of real import that has to do with what God's doing. Amen? But for that to happen, happen we have to come out of that. And so there's something in me that I, re I recognize that does not want to come out of that. I would go from one comfort, uh, one pleasurable experience to another and thank the devil, that's almost possible now because of media and electronics and all that kind of stuff. I can do that almost, almost. I can entertain myself to death. And so because of that, I feel that what happened with Lot was so dangerous that if we turn a few more chapters, you can see the difference between the, the house of Abraham and the house of Lot. See, the house of Abraham was built in the hills where he had to climb mountains. Whereas the house of Lot was comfortable, it was in the valley. And so, when Abraham made his dwelling place the mountains, he had to constantly look to God, right? And the mountains are always the place of worship, always the place of, of, of finding God. Always having to, it's a harder place to live in, it's more desolate, but you have to find God. And so, what came out for Abraham was always a blessing that was, came from heaven. Whereas for Lot, the blessing came from earth. But the, that blessing actually weakened him softened him up so that he could not actually face normal things in life. My fear is that our children will become that way. If you do not discipline them in the Lord, they will not be able to make it. They will not be able to make it because they have, they, they, their, their diet has been always the comforts and the things that make you feel less trouble. And I feel that what happened with Lot is seen, especially when you see, contrast Lot, who easily got taken captive by the Chaldeans during the war when Sodom was defeated and, and destroyed, and Abraham, who had 318 servants, who were trained in his household. With 318 servants, he went after Lot, rescued them, defeated all those armies, there were five kings, with 318 servants. My vision for VCF is that we'll be like with 318 servants. Every one of them, one of, of us, are filled with strength, filled with power, filled with intimacy with God. Not the, not, the, not the blessing of Lot. This is what God is doing in our lives. But there is a way in which it's less comfortable. It's less comfortable, but it's more blessed. You can see this in Lot. Actually, you can see him progressively get weaker. Finally, there came a time in, in Genesis chapter 19 when God was going to bring judgment upon the things that he had built his house within. So if you can turn with me to chapter 19. The angels, of, angels had to come into Sodom to actually rescue Lot and his family. But one of the things that you see that is, is that Sodom had got into him so much that he couldn't but separate from Sodom. And so in chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, the two angels come to Sodom. They had meet, gr greeted Abraham, and Abraham interacted with them. And they went into Lot's house. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people of the la to the last men surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, where are the men you came, who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Basically, they wanted to rape the men. And Lot went out to the men of the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man they are virgins. Let them bring them out to you. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. So here's Lot. He does not have any strength left. Then the crucial moment where strength is needed, he doesn't have the strength. 
Yeah? Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So he's so married to his culture, the culture of hospitality, that he's willing to uh, sacrifice his daughters. And so, of course, they say no. And in the end, these two angels actually blind the men and rescue them and reach out. Uh, reach out to uh, Lot's family. Verse 12, it said, The men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, do- sons, daughters, or anyone who will be in the city? Bring them out to the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. For he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting because they had been so blind, so desensitized to the voice of the Lord, that the voice of the Lord was not penetrating, it was not doing anything. And sometimes we can be reading the Bible and we just don't feel anything because of that. And as morning dawned, verse 15, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. But he lingered hankering after that. Not quick to move. I feel that in terms of the times that we are living in, I believe this is where we are. I believe things are going to be shaken. Shaken to the quick. And and the safety and the comfort zones that we've developed around ourselves are going to crack. They're going to be broken. But there are going to be some people who have so invested their lives in their own comfort, in their own reference, self-referencing and their own reference points, that they will linger. And God will give us a time in which deliverance is here, we can escape. And I believe we are in the last call for that. I may be wrong, but this is what I'm feeling. And they will linger. They will linger with the things they've been comfortable with. And so Lot lingered. But let's have a look at it a a little bit further. And so, verse 17, they brought them out and said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Not comfortable, not comfortable at all, but urgent. And And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. He's, the angel is talking about survival. He's talking about favor and kindness. I cannot escape the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. So what's happening is that Lot is saying, your solution for me doesn't work for me because I'm not strong enough. I've indulged my flesh so much that now that you're asking me to go to the hills, I can't make it. I can't make it. It's too difficult. We become so sensitized to anything that is rough that we can't do anything that is rigorous anymore. And my fear is this, that the church of Jesus Christ will become like that, has become like that. I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to. And then he starts pleading. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. I do do this. I can do this. I can go to this city. It's near. Okay, it's near. And then, see how pathetic it is. See, it is a little one. It is a little one. Let me go there. That little city got destroyed also. But the angel let him go there, you know. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? Please, 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 please. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. It's all about my life, right? And he said, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I will do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Later, you find that whole, all the cities got destroyed. It was not destroyed just for a little while so that he can rest there. But can you see that the, the meaning of Zoar means little? It means little. And what, does, what this does is this our indulgence in the flesh and our own comforts, makes us diminished. The other place in which 
Zohar is seen in the Bible is in Isaiah. And when he talks about the judgment on all the cities of, 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 of the valley, including Zohar, it is the place where people who are being judged by God are fleeing to. I want to put it to you that when we live that way, in which we are living in our own reality, that comports to our own desires, our own comforts, we actually will end up fleeing. We're always running away because we're running away from hard things all the time. All the time we're running away from hard things. I began to realize uh, about a year or so ago that for some reason, there are parts in me that are not normal, not, not strong, not normal. And that the rigors of life, of reality, require more from me than I have. There were certain parts in me that were too sensitive. And I began to realize that God was dealing with me hard, but in a loving way. And I realized that my own reaction to certain things that were urgent was just like Lord lingering. Lingering, procrastinating and these things. And the Lord began to show me that I have a little bit of time to fix these things and follow. I began to realize my understanding of human interaction, making a stand, strength and all that, was deficient. That God wanted to give to us much, much more and wants to give the church much, much more of His power. But at the rate in which we are prepared to actually take hardness, it's not going to happen. We are hungry for God, but actually what we, are, what we are doing is this, you know, we're at a feast, and uh, we're hungry, we're famished. And we've heard a rumor that what's going to be served is steak. Wagyu beef. But we have been waiting for a long time. And after a long time of waiting, we're still having the promise that Wagyu beef is going to be served. You know what Wagyu beef is, right? Okay, good. You want to eat it? I hope you have a lot of money. Wagyu beef. Finally, the servers come in with the, 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 their platters. They're all covered, right? And my gastric juices are flowing. Finally, they bring it before me. All together, they open the thing. What do I find? I find a recipe book. And it says, Wagyu beef. There are words about what beef, but they're not beef. And what happens with many of us, we read the Bible, and we, we are comforted by the fact that the Bible says this and that and that and that. And it comforts us, but it doesn't fill us. We haven't got into the real thing. We've just got into words. And so we talk about the power of God. We talk about God healing and all that. But we've not experienced it because we're just looking at the menu or looking at the recipe book and hoping that just by the evocation that comes from words of God, it'll be enough. It's not enough. Because there will come a time in which God will bring to all of us people who are needy or sick, who would come to the Lord if they experience God's power, and He'll bring them to us and say, yeah. and you are going to give them steak. I'm going to give them steak, not a recipe book. Words are not going to be enough. Amen? And so what God has for us is not what He had for Lot. Praise God. Praise God. It's inconvenient. And so what I want to invite you, you, you and I, us as a church, is this, to dedicate to the, ourselves to seeking God, waiting upon the Lord, praying together. We are going to be having um, um, pillars, and it'll be go for, going for seven weeks, beginning March 20, sorry, February the 21st, and we'll go to April the 11th, I believe. It'll go to Easter. And it has to do with witness in the land, how God is going to cause us to be a people who witness 
to God's reality in the land. It has to do with the fact that God wants to bring people to Christ in the places that we work and that the network of relations. He wants to use you. He wants to use you and me. He wants to use you in a way that you're not only able to preach, but you're able to live the abundant life in such a way that the light of God can actually be upon you. He wants to increase His presence in your land. I want to invite you to be a part of that because we will have small groups in which we will pray for each other and we will work on sharing things that we are going on in our land. I want to invite you for daily prayer to come and pray. I don't know how long daily prayer will last, but I believe it's the last call that God's giving to us to prepare ourselves for revival. Amen? So I want to invite you to be a part of that. After this, I won't invite you anymore. It's for you to decide. Okay, but I want to I I tell you, there is available things that are not that necessarily that easy, but it will actually cause us to actually grow in our spirit. Amen. Let us pray. I want to invite you to just, just spend some time before the Lord. Hey guys, said, consider your ways. You have looked for much, but it came to little. Go up to the hills, bring down wood, that there will be wood in my house. And see if I do not open the window to heaven. This is Malachi. Pour out a blessing speaking in the same kind of vein as Hagar. Lord, we welcome you. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your favor upon us that you have not destroyed, but you have given us space and time to develop the riches of God in us. Thank you, Lord. You you meant us to be fruitful. Thank you that you have cut us off from all our darkness and our past and opened up our future so that we can experience something that is better than ever before. We bless your name, Lord. That as a father, you save us. There will come a t- little inconveniences that block us from, pre- from precious things will no longer be little inconveniences. Seek ye the Lord, Bible says, while it is today, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I urge us as a church, put God first. Praise you. You're welcome. Reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. And I just sense right now that God's saying, do you not see it? The rain's falling, the rain is falling, and your land is languishing. There's some of us that we don't even want this call of an inheritance, just like Lot didn't want to save his life. He didn't see it. And the Lord's saying, wake up, you're languishing in certain places, and bring all your life into the rain. Bring it in the morning. Bring it with the word of God, and you will see things sprout that you have never seen before. The world itself will be amazed. You will be amazed. Amen. And so, Lord, we ask you right now, please help us, God. We, we acknowledge that we are not just being entertained to death, but we're being distracted to death, God. And we ask in Jesus' name, we plead the blood of Jesus over the door of our households right now. Stop the distraction in our lives and in our family's life. We pray. If 
let the technology fail, Lord, whatever is needed. We pray, God, that you would allow us to receive all the rain for our languishing and let your word grow. Let your word grow in our lives in Jesus' name. Some of us have experienced in our quiet times such an, a way in which it's so easy to sort of not spend time with God. And the investment of our time with Him that can actually cause us to grow and grow in intimacy, grow in faith and strength has been passed up. I want to invite you to recommit yourself to seeking God first before anything else. Put God first and all these things will be added unto you. You will know blessings like the Lord never knew. And so I want to invite you to just even do that. For some of us, we stayed under the radar. We don't want anybody to know we're Christians so that we won't, affirm, won't offend anybody. And we've become anything that, everything that other people want us to be. We've become people pleasers at work. And so I wonder whether God's speaking to you. Say, Lord, I want to live for you. Not be offensive, but live, just live for you. Even if it accidentally off- offends people. Bless your name, Lord. If God's been speaking to you, just open your hand. Allow the Lord to not just speak to you, but to pour His anointing upon you. God is here, not just to tell us things or to speak words, but to put the substance of what He's been saying upon us. So if you feel comfortable, just go ahead and open your hand. Say, Lord, I receive. I receive that thing in me that needs to be stronger than my trend towards just comfort, my fears of putting my guard down and opening myself to you. I receive you. For some of us, we are only committed to God if He's doing what we are wanting Him to do. And for some of us, you're in a situation of uncertainty, and the Lord saying, cast your burden upon me. Let me give you what I have for you. You don't have to prescribe for me what I'm supposed to do. I will give to you something better. And some of us are going to be set free from the fear of what outcome would take, would take place when you just say, Lord, I commit my way to, the, to you and whatever you have for me, I'm going to receive it. It will set you free and relieve you of anxiety. I can trust you, Lord. And so, Lord, we come before you and we give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. Service is now over. If you need prayer, feel free to come forward and receive prayer.